book of Revelation is just a thrilling book of the Bible. Uh, it, it's graphic nature. It's like uh, watching, you know, watching a movie and being entertained with all kinds of uh, graphic drama. Uh, but the truths are just as thrilling as how those truths are presented. And the truth today is the reality of a heavenly existence, a perfect paradise with Jesus, and how that plugs into our lives today. So our sermon text is Revelation 19, beginning at verse 1. Keep in mind, Jesus is presenting a series of visions to the Apostle John. The Apostle John is writing and telling us what he sees in these visions. So he writes, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders, they represent the church or all believers. And the four living creatures, they represent the earth fell down and worshipped God. So you got everybody worshipping God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts. Uh, righteous declaration is a preferred translation there. Righteous declaration of God's holy people, something that's given to us, pronounced about us. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. You pull into the parking lot and figure it's the right place. Because you see some, some guys in tuxes walking around. You see people carrying gifts into what you believe is the entrance to the most elegant wedding reception to which you've ever been invited in your life. You're a little nervous because you know that you're going to sit down and it's going to be one of those place settings that has like multiple plates and 11 pieces of silverware and you never know which one to use first with your appetizer and salad. Uh, but you're excited to be there in the presence of all these wonderful people at this elegant wedding reception. You, you, you walk in the front door, and you see people come, coming and going and inside, and it surprises you that, that the group is so multi-ethnic. You see people from every tribe and race and nation in our world. And for a second, you think you see your grandparents, you know, but they died nine years ago, so you put that thought out of your mind. And uh, you walk in further and into the expanse of the banquet room, and it amazes you that this banquet room is so vast, you can't even see the other side, or that side, or that side. 
it goes on forever, and it's filled with people, and this is like the largest place you've ever been in your life. And then a host named Gabe comes and greets you, and he knows your name, and as he's taking you to your seat, he's like engaging you in questions about your life, and he knows details about you that kind of creep you out a little bit because strangers wouldn't know those details about you. He's taking you to your seat. There's this this hum in the room, and it's kind of loud, but it doesn't seem overbearing. And, uh, And he's taking you to your seat, and you look up, and you see the head table. And the head table has a a place for the bride and groom, and then it has six chairs on each side. But those chairs are filled not with guys on one side and girls on the other side, but they're all guys on each side. You think that's weird just just for a moment. And then you look up at that table again, and it reminds you of that painting, the Lord's Supper painting, where the disciples, you know, they're they're flanking Jesus in that painting. It kind of looks like that just for a second. And you put that out of your mind, and uh, Gabe escorts you uh, closer and closer. And uh, as you're going to find your seat, you look up at the head table, and it, you, it's him. Somehow, some way, you recognize him. He doesn't look like any of the pictures that you ever saw about him, but you recognize him. It, glorious glamorous groom, Jesus. Gabe takes you to your seat, and you take your seat, and you kind of slouch down in your seat a little bit, like hoping that Jesus doesn't recognize you or see you because he might like project on the big screen all the sins that you ever committed, and you'd be embarrassed, and you're... You, and he's like a big celebrity. I don't know, what, what would you say to him if you met him? And suddenly you hear a voice, welcome. And you recognize this voice. You've heard it throughout your life. It's a comforting voice. It's a reassuring voice. It's a strong yet gentle voice. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Citizens of the kingdom, righteous of God, saints of the Most High. And you realize you are listening to Jesus' voice. I introduce to you, and when he says your name, you realize you're sitting right next to Jesus. He's not at your table, you're at the head table. And he introduces you and asks you to stand, and the entire vast array of that wide expanse of a banquet room, which goes on forever, erupts in cheers and hallelujahs and praises. You are the bride at this wedding reception, and Jesus is your groom. Typically, when the Bible pictures heaven for us and uses language like wedding reception, wedding supper language, or parables about getting ready for for heaven, like the one we read in Matthew 25, typically, believers, you and I, are pictured as the ones who are invited. And even in Revelation 19, it has that aspect to it, like like we're invited, but it has another aspect to it, and that 
at the same time as that we're invited, and these are parables, right? So you can do this. At the same time as being an invitee to the wedding reception of heaven, you and I and all believers are just as much the bride and Jesus is the groom. So believers in this picture of, of heaven that the Bible gives to us are both bride and guest. And both of them are given to us as gifts, our privileges, and our blessings because of Jesus. Okay, so heaven, of course, is the ultimate perfect paradise. We can't wait to get there. Why? Because this ain't paradise. But here's the catch. Heaven, for being as perfect as it is, perfect paradise that it is, doesn't exist yet, at least for us. Heaven is real. It exists. There's souls in heaven right now. But you and I ain't there yet. The rub and the challenge that we have as Christians is that we, let, we want heaven right now, but, but maybe some of us don't want to leave this earth yet, right? We want heaven on earth. We want paradise on this planet. And it doesn't work that way. There's a real life, right? Life is real. There's house cleaning. There's in, in, in a marriage, right? The marriage isn't always the honeymoon or the wedding reception. There's poopy diapers and there's a house to clean, and there's mortgage payments, and there's disagreements about the budget and bills, and even a, a married couple here on this earth isn't enjoying perfect paradise, uh, like the wedding reception and the honeymoon were. Uh, but I tell you what, wedding receptions are still good, and honeymoons are still awesome, because they let a couple learn about truths and realities that can be applied when life gets difficult. So, what does God want you to know? What's the truth and reality that God wants you to know from this beautiful, elegant wedding reception? What does he want you to take with you while you're walking on this planet and you're not in heaven yet? Here it is in a verse from Isaiah 62. How does God feel about you right now? As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You know that look on, on his face when a groom is waiting for his bride, and she's, you know, she's walking up the aisle, right? And she steps out the rear doors of the church, and, uh, and he, can, he lays his eyes on her for the first time, or now, nowadays they do the first reveal where they do it before that time in the church basement or some, in a park or something, right? The first time the groom lays eyes on his bride on their wedding day, right? His heart's pounding, right? His eyes are filling with tears, and they're not tears of sadness. He's like, this is the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life, right? His knees are buckling, his palms are sweating, and he's, this is just, this is the best moment ever. That's how God feels about you. How do you feel about God? If I looked at your bank account, would that indicate that when you think about God, your knees buckle and your palms sweat and your, and your eyes bulge out and your heart pumps so much that he, you, you take everything that he says and demands and promises about money in your life and it is so vastly important to you. Would you be willing to open up your bank account and have all of us look at it to determine that? If I go onto your Facebook feed or your Instagram posts, 
or you you have a new friend on Facebook, right? Were they looking at your Facebook feed or your Instagram posts for the first time? Would they immediately conclude how how important God is in your life and his truths and fellow Christians in your church? Would it be blaringly obvious? What if you did a time study? Or if I looked at your calendar and it told me everything that you, you do all the time. Your quiet, quality time with God, like these kids said, plugging into Jesus, reading the scriptures, prayer time, plugging into daddy who's plugged into Jesus, right? Hanging out with other Christians, family devotional life. We all think we should pray more, and yet, would that show me kind of that reciprocal feeling about God? Your heart pumping, your, your palms sweating, your knees buckling? Would those things show me that? Would your real life, day-to-day life, reflect back to God the way that he feels about you? Those things get lost in translation somewhere, get lost in the real world. And... You and I don't reflect to God his feelings about us when it says that he rejoices over us. Uh, And here in Revelation and elsewhere in the Scriptures, it, it presents that not just as something that we don't do, but something that we actively pursue. And that something is this, that, that we become adulterers in our on our marriage to God, our relationship with God, and we seek out prostitutes. And we're disloyal to God because we lust after other things, ideas, people, you name it. Anything anything that fights against our loyalty and love for God, the Bible refers refers to that as a prostitute. Right here, we we hear it. It's it's the great prostitute. Uh, I'm going to read it in a minute, and you're going to hear how... uh, the Bible refers to that as the great prostitute. It's anything that takes our love and loyalty instead of giving it to God, we give it to them. So how, how should, what should God do? Look at this, Revelation 19, verses 1 and 2. It, God rejoices over you, and this does not change. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. Two things there. Number one, your salvation is not in your hands. Salvation belongs to God. What a relief. If salvation were in our hands, we would lose it. We would mess it up. We would not have confidence. At our Jesus Loves Me group this past week, the, uh, we, and some of these people are a bit newer to the faith, right? We, we, the, the topic was heaven, and the question was, can you be absolutely sure you're going to heaven, absolutely confident? Some of the conversation revolved around the fact that that's pretty arrogant to say that you're actually absolutely going to heaven. You, no one can say 100%. And other conversation says, oh, yeah, absolutely, we can say 100%. And, that, and that's correct, you can. Because salvation belongs to God and not us even as adulterers. And that brings a second point. Look, look who God condemns. 
in this verse? Is it you? Does this say, God has condemned his unfaithful bride? Now, God condemns. Sin must be punished. But God takes the punishment, and and instead of condemning the one he rejoices over, that's you, he condemns the prostitute herself. He condemns anything and everything that wants to take you away from him. That can be sin. That can be death. That can be the power of the devil. That can be your own sinful and selfish desires. He has condemned it. He has, he has killed it instead of condemning you. And that, that's how he can still rejoice over you because the condemnation is done. Uh, so what does he do to you? Here's another verse from Ephesians. Christ loved the church. The church is, uh, the, the meaning of the word church in the New Testament means called out. Anyone who's called out. Called out from what? Called out from sin and death and the power of the devil. Called to God's grace and his salvation. That's all believers. So Christ loved all believers and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus condemned the prostitute by letting sin and death and the devil. He killed them by letting them kill him. He condemned them by letting them condemn him. And he met the justice of God at the cross for you as your, as your groom, as your superhero and savior. And that's why we can have confidence when he says, by the power of my blood and by the power of your baptism, Jesus says, you are my bride and you are beautiful and you are blameless and I am yours and you are mine and you have no blemish, none. Thank you, Lord. Now what do you want to do? I think I want to change how, what and how much I post on Facebook. I think I want to use more of my money directly for God stuff and ministry and getting the gospel to people and buying angel tree gifts for Big Springs Youth Ranch children. I think I want to read the Bible more consistently and spend quiet time with my groom, my Savior, telling him things that maybe I don't tell anyone else and listening to him tell me things that I don't hear from anyone else. Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Why are believers glad? Why do I sing for joy? Because of Jesus' glory. Because of 
Him giving me this fine linen, and it's straight, and it's clean, and it's bright, and I don't have to press it, and I don't have to make it any better, and it covers all my sins, and it makes me beautiful because he's my groom, and he gave it to me. That's the reason for my joy. That's an easy one when we're thinking of heaven. Heaven's perfect. But what about now? Because children get sick. And parents divorce. And jobs stink. And teachers are unfair. And families are dysfunctional. And church isn't perfect. And cancer comes. And the budget is upset. And toddlers turn into teens, turn into grown children who still need mom and dad more than they think they do. How do you, that's, all, that's full of blemish. <laughs> that's full of mess and dirt and difficulty. That ain't heaven. How do we deal with that? What? And Jesus, why can't you just deliver us from evil? Why can't we just have perfect paradise on this earth right now, Lord? I'm going to answer that question by asking you a question. Why doesn't a married couple go on their honeymoon and stay on their honeymoon for 62 years? I mean literally, not figuratively. We all, we all do that, right? Literally. They stay in Aruba or, yeah, right, you name Puerto Vallarta or Hawaii and just, you're, you just stay on your honeymoon. Or you have your wedding reception, and it's, it doesn't end. You just have a wedding reception, and you keep feeding people and feeding people and feeding people and dancing the chicken dance and dancing the chicken dance and dancing the chicken dance. That's my question to you. Why don't we do that? Again, literally, not figuratively. Literally, we don't. Why not? I think there's a lot of reasons why, but here's one. Real life. I love my wedding reception. I love my honeymoon. Here's a picture of Kara and me eating our first meal together, our very first meal together after the wedding reception and honeymoon were over. Hamburger helper and red jello. Kara has advanced a little bit since then on her meal preparation. Uh, I have too. Uh, there's a few wedding gifts in that picture. I, I cropped out. We have like three or four clocks up on the wall that are all given to us as wedding gifts. Isn't it? And it's just, isn't that just cute? This is hamburger helper and red jello is real life. Not ornate, elegant wedding reception food. Not driving in a convertible on the Florida Keys with the sun shining down, but now we're going to have to do dirty dishes. 
Why do we do that? Why didn't we just stay on our honeymoon? Without this happening right here, what you're looking at, our very first meal together as a couple, without that, I wouldn't have studied for the ministry. If we wanted to stay on our honeymoon and on our wedding reception, we'd have to afford that somehow, so we probably would have asked both our sets of parents to uh, sell their home and all their possessions. And we would have constantly been badgering all of our friends to go to our GoFundMe page for our, you know, everlasting wedding reception and honeymoon, though we'd never see our friends because we'd be on our honeymoon, but they're good for money, and so we'd ask them for their money, and we would be checking out of real life. We certainly wouldn't have had children, ball and chain, that we can't be on a honeymoon and, and constant wedding reception doing the chicken dance with children hanging around, right? So you choose. Wedding reception and honeymoon or real life? At some point, real life puts us in the place where God works through us and can work on us in this world. Real life is how I became a pastor and do what I get, get to do what I love. Real life is where our two children came from. Real life is, is growing through hand-me-down furniture and, and learning how to use an electric pan that we didn't know how to use. Sorry, I didn't care. I probably did. Real life. In real life, we can love God by loving other people who are messy and dysfunctional and difficult. Real life means that we learn to be closer to God by leaning on Him in difficulties. Real life means that you can let your light shine because you're out there engaged with unbelievers and people who are lost and who are going to hell, who are not going to heaven because they don't know Jesus and believe in him. That's real life. If you want to check out and go on a honeymoon or stay in a wedding reception, then you're not going to be telling those people about Jesus. So which do you want? Do you want paradise here on this planet right now? No. Jesus, I can wait. Give me real life. Give me learning and growing. Give me the need to be gritty in my faith and determined during difficulty, so I go closer to you, God, just like Jesus did when he was on this planet. Give me real life. I'll take, I can wait. I can take heaven later. That's what the Apostle Paul said when he said, I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far, but I'll hang out here with you because this is important. Hamburger Helper and Red Jello is important. Real life is where it's happening right now. Don't be impatient with Jesus. He knows you can do it, hanging in there till it's all said and done. And he remains your groom. So repent with me, would you, of, of wishing that real life wasn't happening, and let's rejoice in, in the truth of our Savior. Um, this comes into play also in one other way. I want to talk about this. Same, same reality, same truth. How can Jesus be our groom? How can God be a good, loving God when a madman walks into Sutherland Springs 
First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs and massacres 26 people and leaves uh, unkilled, unmurdered victims mourning for loved ones and now having to live the rest of this life. Uh, the internet is filled with uh, articles and blogs mocking the fact that at the very moment that these believers were in church praying to their God, deliver us from evil, a man can come in and shoot 26 of them. What kind of God do you worship? Real life. People die, people get sick, people get murdered. Accidents happen, terror happens. Where are you, Lord? Deliver us from evil. We pray it. You teach your children to pray it. Do you remember what it means in your instructions about the Lord's Prayer? Do you remember what it means? There's two meanings to that, that petition, that prayer. The first and foremost is this. Deliver us from evil means take us to heaven. Is that not what God did for 26 believers and saints at First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs? Yes, he did. He answered their prayer in an act of mercy that took them from this putrid planet to the perfect paradise. And yet he also answered that prayer for the, for the mourning who, who were left behind, for the people who must now live with that loss. He delivered them from evil by not letting the gunman kill them. And now he's delivering them from evil by giving them himself as the groom to take care of them, to remind them that they're beautiful, to help them through life, and to one day deliver them from evil eternally too. The word hallelujah appears four times in the New Testament. All of them here in Revelation 19. You know what hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. Just, just Hebrew. When you say hallelujah, you're speaking Hebrew. Tell that to your friends. It means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When do I praise Him? I praise the Lord every day. Like Job, I, I, I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether He gives or He takes away, I praise the Lord. I praise the Lord for, being, for Jesus being my groom. And for wedding receptions and for honeymoons. So important. Um, and, you know, it's like looking at wedding pictures, right? You, looking at wedding pictures, uh, 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 either they're photos in a wedding album or, or they're online, and, and those wedding pictures remind you, they look back, right? They look back and they remind you of truths and realities that are still effective for someone who is married. In the same way, looking forward to heaven and these pictures and revelation of heaven remind us of truths and realities that will be true but are true right now. Whether you are married or divorced or single or widowed, you have the most glorious groom in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in him and be glad all your days, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray.
Gracious God, we stray too often in our minds, in our hearts, in our decisions, and in our desires. We lust after the prostitutes of this world, the, the ideas, the things, the people, the temptations, the wickedness that wants to pull us away from your love. And we give in, and we even like it. We want to say today, Lord God, that we are so thankful for your Son, for your love given to us and the world and all sinners, for your Son's love that makes him loyal to us, to make, makes him look at us and even like us and certainly love us because he has made us beautiful in you. Lord God, we pray that we can be faithful brides of Jesus, our groom, that we can look at you and love you like you love us, and that we can let the world know it, and when we do, they can look at you that way too. Amen.